Okay, so I'm going to ask everyone to open up your Haggadah to the Eser Makis, to the part of the Haggadah of the Ten Plagues. Um, you all remember where either you dip your, you dip the, you dip your uh, pinky into the wine and take the drops out. And that part where it says the Ten Plagues in the Haggadah. And then, after the Ten Plagues, Rabbi Yehuda gives the Tzach Hadash Ba'ach of the acronym. And then, we have which act, what actually is one of the longest sections of the Haggadah that people usually read through and have absolutely no clue what it is that, that, that they're saying. Because it just seems to be like a lot of numbers and a lot of words. And it's a whole section of the Haggadah. It begins Rabbi Yossi Haglili. There's three paragraphs. One begins, you see where the Eser Makis are? If you find, if you find in the Haggadah where the Eser Makis are, find the Eser Makis. And then after that, the, the ten plagues, you have the, the, those sections that say Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Akiva. Everyone sees that? Yeah? So you'll see it's, it's a substantial section of the Haggadah. There's actually a lot of words over here that are being said. So let's learn first what they mean inside. Let's learn the text of the Haggadah inside to make sure we know what we're talking about. And then we'll have a little deeper understanding of what's, at, what, what's going on over here. But before we read it inside, let's just give a slight introduction to the whole idea of the Ten Plagues. Because the Ten Plagues is something that when you're a kid, it's one of the funnest parts of Pesach. When you're a little kid, oh, the Ten Plagues, the frogs and the blood and the wild beasts. What? The finger puppets and, you know, the locust and all of that. But then you get older and you're like, what the heck is this all about? Like, what is this whole thing? And, and the Torah is so lengthy about it. So the Arizal, the Holy Ari already taught that the ten plagues weren't just a punishment. There's no such thing in Judaism as just a punishment for the sake of a punishment. Right? As, well, again, when you're a kid, you like to sing, Hashem punished the Egyptians, right? Hashem punished Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But there's no such thing in Judaism as punishment just for the sake of punishment. What the Holy Ari teaches is that the ten plagues were a root canal. Everyone knows what a root canal is? You shouldn't know from it. We shouldn't have dug it up. Poo. But a root canal is when you have to like go down deep to dig to get the schmutz out. So the Arizal says that the ten plagues, that's what was happening. That there somehow there had to be some kind of actual different change of manifestation of reality. That reality was changed through the Eser Makis, through the Ten Plagues. That there's something metaphysical in reality that actually had to be uprooted to allow the world to come to its completion. As we're going to learn about tonight, the deeper meaning of what Egypt is all about. In the whole Indian of creation of the world, Egypt has something about it which to facilitate all holiness to happen had to be uprooted. That's why we make such a big deal out of Pesach and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, because there's something about Egypt which is so essential, so to the core of negativity, that the only way to go weiter, right? Like, you know, the famous the idea, we have Dayenus, 15 Dayenus. If we wouldn't have done this, wouldn't have done this. But what's the first one? If he would have taken us out of Egypt... And not done everything else, Dayenu. But taking us out of Egypt, that we don't say if you wouldn't have taken us out of Egypt. There's something about going out of Egypt and the ten plagues that uprooted that whole Indian that's so essential. And you see from the fact that in this Haggadah, in the Haggadah, the way that, that these three paragraphs over here seem to be so like not, 
important. It just seems to be like almost like a trivial idea, which there are so many words in the Haggadah, and, and this is a, usually a part of a section that people don't have patience for, and they just run through, but it's in the Haggadah, which means that it's essential to the night. So let's see inside. Rabbi Yossi says, How do you know that the Egyptians, Loku, were smitten in Egypt, ten plagues, and on the sea, by Yamsuf, when they went through the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the Red Sea, then there were 50 plagues. How do you know? Meaning that there were 10 plagues in Egypt and 50 on the sea. Meaning that it wasn't just that they were drowned in the sea, but there were also other plagues that were happening also at the same time. Actually, 50 of them. How do you know? B'mitzrayim in Egypt, Ma'u look inside, B'mitzrayim, what does it say? That the Egyptians said to Pharaoh, it's the finger of God. It's the finger of God. That's what the magician said in Egypt. It's the finger, it's the finger of God. And then on the sea, what do we say? Vayar Yisrael es hayad hagdola. We saw the great hand of God. So the hand is how many fingers? Five, right? One times five. So that's 50. That's how you know that on the they, 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 they were smitten with 50 plagues on the sea. Again, without the Arizal's understanding the whole thing, what's the whole, who cares? What's the whole idea? But the idea is that it's all part of the process of uprooting the negativity to get the positivity. So Rabbi Yossi says that every plague in Egypt, there was 10 in Egypt and 50 on the sea. Right? Then we come to the next paragraph, Rabbi Eliezer Oimer. How do you know Maka? How do you know that every plague that the Egyptians suffered or in Egypt still was really was really four. So Rebeliezer now says that each plague in Egypt was really four plagues. It's like we're becoming accountants all of a sudden. Do, do you notice what's going on? It's like all this, this whole like number game over here, right? We become Jews were always known for being good accountants, but this is like so in Egypt. Every plague had four. How do you know? Because the Pesach says in Tehillim, Yeshalach bom and ape ever v'zom etzaras m'shlachas that he will send upon them his wrath and his anger and, and the, the damaging angels, etc. Right? So from the Pesach and Tehillim, we know that in Egypt, each plague was made up of four. Okay? And we already said that at the sea is how many times what was in Egypt? Egypt was a finger. And at the sea was the whole hand, the hand of God, Yara Gdola. So that means that at the sea there was 200. Then comes Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva Oimer, no. Every maka, every plague in Egypt wasn't a four. Rather, what, what does Rabbi Akiva say? Five. Every plague in Egypt was really made up of five. How do you know? So he reads the Pusik in Tehillim differently. He, he says he counts each word in that verb Pusik from Tehillim. And that's how he derives that each plague in Egypt is really a five. And that's the finger of God. And at the seas, the hand is 250. And that's a whole section of our Haggadah. Does this sound very relevant to your life? Does this sound very relevant at all to Pesach? that we make such a big deal of it in the Haggadah. What, what is happening over here? 
So the Mepharshim discuss what's, this, what's the Machlekes, because the real argument that's happening, let's just make sure we get clear, is, is every maka, was every plague one, four, or five? Correct? Do you mean like five iterations or five subtypes, or what is that five? What does the number mean? So it means, I, I don't know exactly. Okay. Honestly, I don't know exactly, but I guess somehow that when the frogs came that there were four aspects of the frog plague that, that they were smitten by. The, the simple reading, there were five aspects, that the frogs not only you know, bothered them to sleep, or also went into their food. I, I mean, there are, there are Haggadahs, if you really want to like, do a project, there are Haggadahs that actually go through all the numbers, you know, if you really want to get in that, into that type of thing. But the idea, that, but that's exactly the point that I, that I want to learn tonight. That what, what we're going to learn tonight is Sicha from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Today's his birthday, the 11th of Nisan. Today's the Rebbe's birthday. So we're going to learn tonight a teaching from the Rebbe on this part of the Haggadah. Because exactly what you're asking is like, well, what does it mean? 200, 250, 4, 5, 1, 4, 5, 4 aspects. There's something obviously going on over here deeper. So yes, you could look into Pshat. And, and there are those Mepharshim that, like you're saying, will start enumerating, you know, which one, what's this, what's the four, what's the five. But there's something, obviously, that, had, that we have to say, the Chassidus that the Rebbe explains, based on Chassidus, that's relevant to us. So first, the Rebbe brings from the Kolbo. The Kolbo was a Rishon, was a medieval scholar, was one from the, from the Rishonim. And the Kolbo explains as follows. The Kolbo explains that this whole argument that's happening over here, the machlekes that's going on over here, has to do with how deep the impurity, the negativity, the evil of Egypt, how deep in things, in the world, in things, how deep did it go, how deep did it penetrate? Meaning what? Has everyone heard of the concept in philosophy of matter and form? Matter versus form? In Hebrew, it's called chomer and surah, matter and form. It's one of the ideas that's discussed in philosophy since the Greeks and even before the Greeks, the the pre-Socratic philosophers, all the way till this day. And that is, what is everything made of? What is everything made of? When we speak about negativity, evil, the impurity of Egypt, what is it made of? What is everything made of? And there was a big dispute throughout the generations in philosophy what things are made of. But in the Middle Ages, especially the Rambam, based on Aristotle, they basically explained that there's essentially everything is made up of, first and foremost, matter and form. Matter means the material what we would call the material. That's matter. The material itself, as opposed to the form. Lemay said there were those those that said that everything is made up of fire, and there were those that said everything is made up of water, and then there were those that said everything is made up of earth, wind, water, and fire, which we know, what's earth, wind, water, and fire? Earth, wind, water, and fire is solid, liquid, uh, gas, and energy. Uh, uh, Solid, liquid... Uh, um, gas and energy. That's earth, wind, water, and fire. And then we know till today in quantum physics, what's everything made up of? What is everything made up of? Space, energy, space, the unity, the unifying energy which we know to be the light of God. Right? That's what everything is made up of. 
But here's the question. If everything is made up of the same stuff, why does everything look differently? Form. Huh? That's the form. That's the form. The form is how, every, even though everything is made up of the same stuff, but somehow everything has its own form. Everything looks different. No two things look the same. That's the form that things are made up of. Comes Hasidus and explains that the, the machlaikis between the first two opinions, whether each maka, whether it was ten makas, one or four, whether each was ten, each was one or each was four, is how deep did negativity go? The negativity and the impurity of Egypt, how deep in stuff did it go? According to the opinion that there were ten makas and each was one, what is impurity? See, Hasidus comes and says that the metaphysical reality of the world, Torah dictates. And so, even though when you look at a pig and you look at a cow, let's say you had glasses that didn't just see with your physical eyes. Let's say you had glasses that were able to actually metaphysically penetrate what it is you're looking at. A pig and a cow don't intrinsically look the same. A pig, what Hasidus, what Tanya explains at length, is that the actual objects of the world, when it comes to impurity, when it comes to when the Torah forbids something, the actual objects of the world become different. They, the impurity, the, what, what happens is that the light of God is trapped in clepus in shells, and it actually, the item, the, the pig itself, is impure, and is negative, and has negative evil forces in it in the actual item of the pig itself. You see, I'll give you an example. What, what, is, what is Hasidus? What, what is this idea? It's like when you have a child and you want to teach your child not to go out into the street, right? You don't want your kid to not go into the street because you told him not to go to the street. What do you want to teach your child? Some people think that all of sin is God is saying, don't do this, don't do this. It's like waving your finger and saying, don't do this, don't do this. And if you do this, you're bad. That sin is bad. That you're bad and bad. But if Chassidus comes and explains, what Hashem is saying is that these things are dangerous. When you don't want your child to go out into the street, it's because it's dangerous for your child to go out into the street. And you want your child to know that. And so Chassidus comes and says that the impurity of things of this world is not, just, is, is not just God saying don't do things, but that the object itself is negative and is harmful and is dangerous and is bad for you. Like you wouldn't want your kid to go out into the street. So but what's the machlekes between the first two opinions whether there's 10 makis or 40, meaning either each one was one or each one was four, when we say that the impurity penetrated to the actual, the world itself, does the impurity just penetrate the form or does it also penetrate the matter? Meaning, let's say, let's take a piece of treif, a piece of treif meat. Is it just that the form... Does everyone understand the difference between matter and form? Does everyone clear the difference between matter and form? Matter is what things are made up of. The, 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 the essence, the core, the, the actual 
the material of what things are or the form of what it is. So when the Torah says that, let's say, a piece of non-kosher meat is not kosher, so what's not kosher? The form or the matter itself also becomes not kosher. And Egypt, when Egypt, when negativity penetrates, which part of, of, of the world is the Egypt penetrating? Just the form of the way the Egyptians looked, the way the country looked? Or is there something in the matter itself, inherent in the matter, in the earth, wind, water, and fire? That's the idea of the four. The four is the earth, wind, water, and fire, which are the main elements of the matter. And that's the difference between the first opinion that says that in order to uproot, in order to take away that evil, it was enough one maka because the impurity is only on the form. According to the second opinion, no, the impurity penetrates to the matter itself. And when the impurity penetrates to the matter itself, then you need each maka, each root canal to be four. The earth, wind, water, and fire, you need it to go to the actual physical thing itself. What does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with us? Yes, yes. Can you give an example of what you mean of the difference between it being in matter and form? Oh, an example of what I mean between it being matter and form. Okay, yes, let's give an example. Let's, let's, let's give an example now. Let's say when it comes in halachically, okay, a, a trafe piece of meat, let's say somebody slaughters an animal that they own and it's not kosher. So we know we're not allowed to eat it. What does the Torah say to do with trafe, with a trafe piece of thing? What are you allowed to do with trafe? You could feed it to your animals, meaning you could get enjoyment from it. You're not allowed to eat treif, but you could give it to your dog. The Torah says, Throw it to your dog. Feed your animals with it. You, feed your birds with it. I actually got a shayla today. Somebody wanted to know about feeding their birds chametz, right? So you can't feed, you can't feed your animals. So when it comes to treif, you're allowed to feed your animals with it. When it comes to basar b'chalav, let's say, meat and milk, meat and milk is not just asr b'achila. Meat and milk is not just forbidden to be eaten. Meat and milk is also forbidden to get enjoyment from. You're not allowed to get enjoyment from meat and milk either. Meaning that if, let's say, you have a cheeseburger, you can't feed it to your animals. You have to get rid of it because you can't get enjoyment of it. Yeah? That's the, does that answer the question? So, so what's the difference? And the, the, dif the difference is that that means that treif, the impurity of the treif is only on the matter, uh, only on the form, which is why all you can't do is you can't eat it. But you could get enjoyment from it because when it's just that you can't, the form of it you can't consume. But the matter itself, there's nothing wrong with the matter, but when it comes to basar b'cholov, when it comes to meat and milk, that impurity penetrates to the matter itself. Yeah, go ahead. One clarification. Please. Even a little further. Does that mean that the concealment of God's light is more contracted in those more impure things? That's exactly true. Regina said, I'm going to repeat. I'm going to repeat what she asked. Regina said, does that mean that God's light is more contracted and there are more klipas in those things that are forbidden in Hana. And the answer is 100% yes. That's why when we say there are 365 prohibitions, each one is a separate one. And there's different ways that God's light becomes trapped in shells. 
And so Hashem is screaming, don't run out into the street. But the question is, how much of that thing is impure? Is it just the form or is it the matter also? But now... It changes the, the matter itself? So that's according to the opinion that each maka in Egypt, that in order to uproot the negativity of Egypt, each one had to be four. According to that, it means that the object itself is imp- it becomes metaphysically reality, the material itself becomes impure. That God's light becomes so trapped by the shell that it completely is in the matter itself. Yeah, Jonah. So if, if according to the theory that each Mecca is a chicken for something that the Mitzrayim did that was wrong for the Jewish people, wouldn't that be that matter is somewhat good? Well, but that, let's, let's not, I mean, that, that opinion, in other, words, in other words, there's a lot of different ways of understanding the ten plagues. So I don't necessarily know if we could always put each chart that each one, in other words, that the, the, that the Egyptians suffered for what they did to the Jews, here we're talking about that it's, a, it's, in other words, the Arizal is saying that yes, of course it's true that it could be understood as a punishment, but in a deeper way, it's not just a punishment. It's a need that God needed to uproot the negativity from the world. You understand? And, and so that's what we're focusing over here, that the, and that the negativity, that the klipa, that the impurity mamish penetrates to the actual matter of the of Egypt, that Egypt, the impurity of Egypt penetrated to the matter of the physical world. But then we come to the third opinion. What's the third opinion? That each maka was five, right? That was the third opinion. That each maka is five. What does that correspond to? Yeah. I don't know where you're going with this, but I know in Ayurveda and in Chinese medicine there are five elements. So I don't know. What's so? What earth, wind, water, fire, and and ether. Ether. So that's exactly the the same idea. Yes, it's what the it's what they would call ether. What the Greeks called hylic matter, hylic h y l i c, hylic matter, which is very much connected to the idea of the ether. And in Hebrew, it's called, it's called koyach hiuli, hiuli. In fact, the Ramban Nachmanides, the Ramban, in the very first pasuk in Bereshis. When he's Bereshis Barali Kim, there are ten utterances. The Ramban says the first thing God created was the Hylic matter, the Hiuli, the ether. What's that? What is that? It's deeper than earth, wind, water, and fire. It's deeper than atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons. It's what they're trying to say in, 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 in Switzerland, that underground tunnel, when they were trying to search for the God particle, that's what they're looking for. The ether, what's called the hiuli, which means the matter deeper than the, the matter that has a form to it. The matter that's deeper than the matter that has a form to it. Hiuli means the core, the essence of what it is. And so Rabbi Akiva says that each maka in Egypt had to be a five because it had to, because you know how deep evil goes? You know how deep evil is able to reach into and transform the, the world to become something impure? To the core, to the gut, to the hiuli, to the matter that's deeper than energy. That's why chametz is even more stringent than meat and milk. 
tray funality e, but you could give to your animals because the prohibition is only on the form. A cheeseburger, meat and milk, the prohibition reaches into the, the matter. Therefore, you're not allowed to get enjoyment from it. You can't give it to your animals. Chametz, Egypt, which is like Rabbi Akiva says, Chametz, you're not only that you're not allowed to enjoy on Pesach, what else? You're not even allowed to own. Chametz is one of the only prohibitions. Chametz and Aved those are the two. Uh, yes, I believe so. That, and, well, not if not for owning it. For owning it is only alive. Eating it is cars, but owning it is only alive. But but what does it mean that you can't even own it? It means that the impurity reaches to the hiuli to the hyalic matter. Now, why is this important for us? Because when we speak about ourselves, let's talk about ourselves now. And the need for us to leave Egypt. So when we talk about negativity that we have in ourselves, and we all know now we're all cleaning for Pesach, I assume anyone that's married had some kind of argument already with their spouse. If not, I'm very impressed. Or you yelled at your kid or something. You lost it. You got annoyed. And Bechlal in life, right? Egypt means those negative emotions, the, negative, the negativity of the world, the perspective on the world that's negative. <laughs> When a person loses a sense of self and their outward focus becomes so negative, so how do you uproot that? What do you need to uproot to get out of that Egypt? So the same machlekes, the same argument applies. Do you need to uproot just the way you act? I should just not act in, in, in negative ways or I have to uproot my whole way of thinking. I have to go out of my way of thinking. Or, if I say that it's the Heilic matter, the, what's called in Chesidus Yechidus HaBenefesh, it means to go out of my whole self. Because one could get lost, one could lose a sense of self, but then one can also get stuck in a sense of self. And not be part of the bigger picture of reality. One has to have a sense of self as part of the truth of Hashem. Not as a separate part of not as a separate entity, because as long as we, that's, all the negativity and all the suffering that we suffer is as long as we maintain the separate sense of self and we feel our sense of self as being something other than Hashem's sense of self. And therefore we have to uproot, to uproot Egypt somehow, which we're going to speak about now, how do we do that? Somehow there's, an, there's a necessity to go deeper than even what I feel to be my sense of self. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? Negative emotions could only stick. They only, you only remain attached to them as long as there's a sense of self that's built up, which we have, unfortunately. And I'm sure during this past year, I could speak for myself, there's been plenty of suffering. And we all know that that comes because we have yeshus. We have our sense of self. We get stuck in an Egypt. We get stuck in a negative emotion. We get stuck in a negative pattern. We get stuck in a negative way of thinking. We get stuck in a negative way of acting. Because either I lose myself in something outside of me, or I get stuck in myself and I don't go deeper into the God that's in me and I don't uproot the Egypt to my core. Parenthetically, 
Let me ask you all a question. How many exiles, again, let's remember Hanukkah, Maoz, Tzur, right? We know the Jewish people have been through a whole bunch of exiles. How many exiles did the Jewish people go through? Anyone know how many exiles we always speak about there being? Four. Four. The four exiles. What are the four exiles? Anyone know? Roman, Greek, Babylonian, and Persia. Roman, Greek, Babylonia, and Persia. But Regina said Egypt. And why, why did Jonah, why didn't you say Egypt? We're still in Galatians, right? Oh, so the idea is exactly that's part of the four and the five. You see, there are four letters of Hashem's name. You know where the first place in the Torah that the four exiles are hinted? In the second, in the, in the, in the second Pasuk in, in Chumash. And the already in the beginning of the Torah, there's the four exiles hinted because intrinsic to the, our mission in the world to reveal God in the world is to uproot the exile. And so there's four letters to Hashem's name, that's Kedusha, that's in holiness. And so in impurity, that's the four exiles. The four exiles that correspond in the side of impurity to the four letters of Hashem's name. And usually, they're usually listed as Babylonia, Persia, Greek, and Rome. What about Egypt? Egypt is the fifth. Egypt is the source of all negativity. There's a reason we're so OCD on Pesach. There's a reason that Judaism is so OCD about remembering Egypt. All we ever speak about is Egypt. Every time we make Kiddush, every holiday, everything's about Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Because Egypt is the fifth. Egypt is what corresponds to the core of negativity. Deeper than, and, and to the extent that, like Jonah said, until today we're essentially still in Egypt. All the other exiles are manifestations of the fifth, of the Hiuli of the ultimate core of negativity, which is what Egypt is. That's what Rabbi Akiva is saying in the Haggadah, that every Makkah is five, that you have to uproot from to the deepest place of what it is. Is that clear? Any questions? Did the Makkahs actually uprooted them? Yeah, they uprooted them to the extent that now we, they uprooted them in Egypt. And now we use that, we continue that, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we're continuing to uproot. When we don't sin, we're using that force also to be able to uproot the evil from the world. I have a question. Yeah. This is too, too much of a fundamental okay. question, but why would Hashem hide himself to that degree? Maybe this is for like a different yeah, it's, it's a it's it's a it's a very off topic type of thing, but why would the whole hide and seek that Hashem why, is why doing is with us? What why does it have to why does it have to be so hidden? Why does it have to be so dangerous, right? Maybe because the light is the greatest there. Exactly. Because that's the, the, the it, according to how much darkness is, is overcome, that's how much light is revealed. And that's what brings me now to the second part of the class. So Ad Khan, what we understood from the Haggadah, is uprooting the negative. And now... Wait, just one, just one thing, sorry? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> it, what Regina just said is like exactly on topic. Like the fact that he's so hidden is because we don't even know what it is that we own. What do you mean? Like you, like you can't see God... If you could like point to it and be like, "That's God," it wouldn't be so, so God. That, so that's that, so this that's going to be relevant to the second part of the class of of the shir. What I'm going to talk about now. 
that's exactly what I'm going to talk about now. So now that we understand what it is we need to uproot, we have to come to the core of our sense of self, not get lost in external things somehow in the negativity of the world, but somehow have a sense of self that we're confident enough, and then not get lost in that sense of self. How do we get out of that Egypt? Like you said, Hashem did it in Egypt with the Ten Makis. But we now have to do it on ourselves. We have to go out of Egypt as we know. So how do we do that? And the answer is, that's why we eat the matzah. Let's talk about the eating of the matzah. Anyone know what the matzah is known as in the Zohar? Yeah, Jonah, you want to ask something? Oh, wait. Anyone know what the matzah is known as in the Zohar? The matzah in the Zohar is called Michla de Memnusa, the bread of faith, the, or the, the food of faith. It's like a faith pill. Michla de Memnusa, it's the food of faith. What does that mean that it's the food of faith? So here's one of the perfect examples of where you see the difference between Chasidus, with Chasidus, and without Chasidus. Because the Chinuch already, the Sefer Chinuch, who is one of the Rishonim, he writes at the level of Pshat. When he writes, the re- what's the reason we eat matzah? Why do we eat matzah? What's the reason feeding the matzah? The Sefer Achinuch, this is from about over th- almost a thousand years ago, the Sefer Achinuch asks, why do we eat matzah? So he also says, to strengthen our faith. How does matzah strengthen our faith? So the Chinuch says like this, when you eat the matzah, you remember that we left Egypt and that we left Egypt. Hashem performed all the miracles and you rem- it triggers all your memories. It triggers the memories. It triggers the story. It makes you remember. It makes you feel like you're living through it again. So it sort of allows and facilitates you to be able to think about Hashem. But according to that, at, if I would ask you, if, if, if you're told that that's the reason for eating matzah, wouldn't it be just be enough to take a book and read about the mirror? If it's just about that the matzah somehow is supposed to trigger memories all alone in the moonlight, and somehow it's supposed to make me remember things that Hashem did, and may, that's going to strengthen my faith. So take a book or watch a movie. Watch the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt or something. Miracles can happen if you believe, right? That'll, that'll strengthen your faith. Comes Chasidus and says, that's, so that's not, the Zohar is Pnimius. The Chinuch is at the level of Niglev, the revealed aspect of Torah. So it's just, you know, remembering. But Pnimius tells you, no, you know why the Matzah strengthens your faith? And this touches upon what we learned about last week, Wednesday night. Because you know what Matzah is? You know what actually is metaphysically in the reality of the Matzah? <clears throat> Hashem's infinite light, Mamish. Remember we learned about this last week. Hashem is in the matzah. You know, I don't want to... Hasidus uses the expression that when you're eating the matzah, you're eating godliness. You know, I, this might be a controversial uh, thing to say, and so I hope this doesn't make anyone too uncomfortable, but, I mean, you just see how the truth of Hasidus, even though it wasn't, everyone knew about it always, even though it was only revealed many years later. Lahavdil Elif of Dallas in Christianity, there's a concept of the Eucharist where they eat the wafers. Right? 
What are they eating when they're eating the wafers? What do they believe they're eating? The body of God. Where does that idea come from? That idea comes from the Last Supper, which was a Pesach Seder. And so already back then they knew that when you eat the matzah, you're eating Hashem. It's intimacy with Hashem. You know, practically, you know what that means? When you eat the matzah, you should be eating it with your eyes closed. Because what's essentially happening when you're eating the matzah? You're mamish unifying with Hashem. You know, if, if I may bring this example, when the nature of people is that when people kiss, they close their eyes. Because it's something so deep. And like we learned last week from the Alter Rebbe when he spoke about thank you very much. About that, that's what happens when you, from chapter 46 in Tanya. That when a person connects, when a person does a mitzvah, they're actually connecting with Hashem's infinite light. So the matzah, when you're eating the matzah, close your eyes and feel that you're taking into you Hashem mamish. You know, it's interesting because, you know, people usually think that, that Hasidus, that Kabbalah is abstract and the other aspects of Torah are more revealed and more solid, right? But here was, if you're noticing, we're saying the exact opposite. The Chinuch is saying this abstract idea that the matzah makes you remember, makes you meditate, makes you think. Chasidus and Kabbalah say no. The matzah itself has in it Hashem. And so that's the idea, that's the counterpart to this idea that we're learning here about uprooting Egypt. The counterpart to that is we all know we have to leave those aspects of ourselves that are got stuck in the negativity of Egypt. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you battle darkness? How many sticks, how many bombs does a person need to battle darkness? So that's ultimately, and this, and this Jonah has to do with what you were saying before, is ultimately what's, what happened is that in Egypt, the same time the Egyptians were getting smitten with the plagues, the Jewish people were getting healed. Because when Hashem reveals Himself, that's what causes the Egyptians to get smitten, and that's what causes us to get healed. It's actually a pasuk in Yeshaya, Nagu I'm smiting and I'm healing at the same time. Because when Hashem's light gets revealed, that uproots the Egypt, it uproots the negativity, but for the rest of us, it brings holiness into us, and it brings Hashem into us. Bailey, did that answer your question? Jonah, did that answer your question? Uh, I, I don't know if I asked it yet, but sure. What's that? I guess it did. Um, I guess my question was, why do we need why do we need Mitzrayim? We're going to say that Mitzrayim is it. It beat me of of darkness and colors and evil, which is the fifth level. Can you say that the opposite is, uh, yeah, is that the Ichida? So we have four levels of the Neshama, but the Echida is the essence, which is not really another level in and of itself. So we shouldn't really be trying to get out of, out of Mitzrayim. We're already there. We just perceive ourselves as being in this state of Golos. Does that make any sense? Yes. So is that a so, question? So, so why are we doing anything? So if so, Joan is asking if the that if with really the Egypt we have to leave is the Egypt of our perspective. 
right? Then why? And we just have to know the truth that essentially within everything is Hashem. Hashem is the Yechida. Hashem is the core, is the five, is the Hiuli, and even deeper than that, obviously. Hashem is the, the, the ether is a contracted level of God's light. So Jonah's saying, so why do I have to eat the matzah? I should just meditate. I should just be spiritual. And there are many people that say that. Why isn't it enough to be spiritual? Why do I have to actually eat the matzah? Why do I actually get rid of the chametz? And that's exactly what Hasidus is saying deeper than the chinuch. That's the answer to the question. Because what Hasidus, based on Kabbalah, really Kabbalah, what Kabbalah, Kabbalah and Hasidus reveal is that Torah is the metaphysical reality of the world. It's not based on what I feel or don't feel. To be able to change myself, I mean, if I'm looking for my true self, none of us even know who we are. None of us even know why we respond to certain triggers the way that we do. Well, like, we're like, you know, 90% of our unconscious mind is just living itself out during the day. Is what? 90% of us is just like our unconscious mind just living itself out. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't even know ourselves. So when a person says, why, why is it enough just to meditate and be spiritual? Why do I have to follow? <laughs> Who? The idea is if, if I want to essentially be, that, that's exactly the point of tonight's shir. That's, that's really the takeaway from tonight's shir, exactly what, what we're talking about now, what you're saying, Jonah. Because... The takeaway is, it's a new hashkafa of how to look at mitzvahs and averos. It's a totally new hashkafa of how to look at mitzvahs and how to look at averos. These things aren't just be God is telling you, do this and don't do this. The Torah is the prism through which reality comes into being. And therefore, when the Torah says there's a mitzvah, What's happening is that Hashem is allowing His infinite light to enter your soul. And like we said before, when you want your kid not to go into the street, you want your, it's, it's not because they're bad. A person that eats a cheeseburger, they're not a bad person, but their soul is becoming damaged. Because the cheeseburger, God is completely trapped in the shell of impurity, of negativity. And therefore it has an actual damaging effect onto a person. And the opposite, and the opposite, the, from the opposite angle, when it comes to eating the matzah, it's the same thing. As much as I try to meditate, but that's all me of created being that I don't even know myself. Like you said, so much of myself is my unconscious. How am I supposed to be able to really be able to leave the Egypt of what I am if I don't even know myself at all? If I have no perception of self at the deepest way? So matzah is an opportunity. It's the one time a year. Well, really, sukkah also is when, you know, anytime we eat something that's a mitzvah. But matzah is that the bread of faith, because the matzah itself, you don't eat the sukkah, you don't eat the lulav, right? You don't eat the Hanukkah candle or the Shabbos candle. You don't eat the mikveh, you don't eat the tefillin. Here you're eating the matzah. And so before you eat the matzah, if, we have to spend some time thinking about all the Egypts that we have, all the Egypts that we have to get out of. And we all know what it is that we have to, you know, the things that are holding us back, that are keeping us felt, feeling trapped and feeling us, making us feel 
down and, and ruining our lives. We have a lot of us have Egypts that have been ruining our lives this past year. And we're now coming to Pesach to a time where we have an opportunity to leave Egypt. And we're being told by the Zohar that there's an actual objective thing you could do. Eat matzah and, be, and, and the more that one has an awareness, because when you do the matzah, that's happening objectively, whatever I feel or not. But of course, if I tap into that energy, I close my eyes. I mean, sometimes it, it, like, it makes me laugh when I see some people like, you know, they eat the matzah, they're like measuring as they're eating. And, you know, measuring other people, as they're chewing on the matzah, they're measuring other people's pieces and like, you know, talking and whatever. It's like, imagine, imagine, forgive using, imagine kissing your lover and looking at the clock to see, to, you know, with your eyes open to make sure, you know, I, I have to go, it shouldn't take too long. Or like measuring, you know, you're, this is the opportunity, the one time a year where you have to bring God into you, to eat godliness. That's what a Seder is. That's what leaving Egypt is. That's why this is this whole thing, this whole piece of the ten makis, if you pay attention, if you look right after this is Dayenu, and then we start talking about the matzah and we finish. This is the end. So it's like almost as if we get rid of the negativity and then we allow the matzah to come into us and to heal us. Yeah. Can you say like maybe something about why matzah is the symbol of this godliness? Why matzah is the symbol of this godliness? Could be anything. Uh, so there are many different reasons given. There are many, many, many different reasons given for it. But the most basic one is that the idea of it not rising is the idea of bittel. The idea of the matzah doesn't rise, doesn't have an opportunity to rise, means that one is allows oneself to rest in the truth of reality and doesn't seek to be a separate self. Rabbi Brown, can I ask you a question? Of course, Ricky. Good to see you. Hi. I came a little late. I'm sorry. So I don't know if you already answered this. My apologies. Um, so something that I've been thinking a lot recently about, about Pesach and about um, this idea of like every single day I need to remember that I'm, I'm leaving Gullahs. And also, like, particularly, it's the Rebbe's birthday. At least for me right now in L.A., it's still the Rebbe's birthday. I, I mentioned that in the beginning. I did. Okay, so I missed that part. So, anyway, the Rebbe, like, I, I was reading a lot of texts from the Rebbe, and he said, he's like, you should always remember that just like the Jews of Egypt left Mitzrayim, and they were, the, you know, they went from from literally like zero to a hundred real fast. You know, they went from the 49th level of like, what is happening to like all of a sudden bliss real fast. And I feel like in some ways, our modern day experience of Pesach doesn't necessarily look like that. Like we literally start preparing for Pesach the second Purim ends. There's such transition. There's so many, like, even other Aleph, other Bays. Like, we, we need to make sure that, like, there's these bookends to prepare for Pesach. And it doesn't have that, like, romantic whirlwind, like, oh, my God, I didn't even know I was suffering until you pulled me out. And I realized I was in this toxic relationship with a thing called slavery. And now I'm, like, free. And I, that's, like, very much the image I feel 
of the Jewish people, like, I went to my friend's house yesterday, and her house was just, like, covered in, like, literally $30,000 worth of Pesach stuff, right? Like, that's our modern-day religious Orthodox Pesach experience. It's, like, really expensive. It's full of stuff. Like I, I was joking so, with her. Uh, so like, Ricky, I, I think if so, I think I think what you're saying, and I think that that's true, is that's why that's exactly what tonight's class is about. That it's important not to get lost in the externals. It's important that we have to understand that really everything is building up to that moment when you eat the matzah. And you're and think, you and you're 100 percent right that you know I I I, I what, what were you saying? What were you? I guess my I guess my question for you is is the energy of Pesach about not even knowing your own pain or is the energy of Pesach about like really articulating and eat and like and and embodying as you know it the suffering that you've had um, because as I, as as I see it the Jews not necessarily knew their own suffering. They were literally on the 49th, they were about to be obliterated. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that obviously every, everyone, it's a very good question and, and everyone has to make their own soul searching of what their own Egypt is. And it's very easy, you know, for us to, to, to look at other people and find their Egypt and know what they have to, you know, get, yeah. get out of. But we have to find within ourselves. We have to bring the romance back within ourselves, the romance with Hashem, and not lose sight of the ultimate purpose of what the matzah is, which is to bring that infinite light of God into you to facilitate the leaving of the negativity. Now, what I do want to say, what you said before, which is very important and very true, you know, what Kabbalah calls klipa, what we were learning tonight, when the negativity gets stuck into the gut, into the core of things, what's a klipa? A klipa is like, a, like when something becomes that entrenched. When we have that in ourselves, what you were talking about, that we sometimes don't even know our own suffering. We don't even know what, what, what's, what, what is that klipa that we have in ourselves. So in the beginning of the show, when we were speaking about the four and the five, I don't know if you, the, when we were speaking about going into the depth of who you are, you, you Bailey actually, when we, we were discussing this year before earlier today, Bailey said maybe that's why Purim comes before Pesach, because you have to first know that you know nothing. Purim is about recognizing that our brains are worthless when it comes to really knowing who we are. Our rational mind, our conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg of who we are. So Purim is to let loose and know that you know nothing, not only not about your own suffering, but about your own goodness also, you know nothing. We all know nothing. And so that's the idea of Pesach, approaching Pesach, you know, Omer after Pesach, that's when you get into the nitty gritty. That's when you start refining, you have seven weeks and you could get into specifics of negativity and this negative attribute, etc. But Pesach, exactly like you said, Ricky, that there's a special klipa when people think that change always has to be gradual. There's Pesach, the message of Pesach is not gradual change. That's Svira Sa'omer. Pesach is about radical change. That's the name of the holiday. <clears throat> the name of the holiday is jumping. 
The name of the holiday is the energy of the matzah to know that I have an opportunity to bring God into me as I'm eating the matzah. And again, when you're eating the matzah, it should be with closed eyes. It should be with really feeling, thinking about the you that you don't know, the self that you want to get out of, the self that's bringing you down, the self, the parts of self that are getting you stuck, that we feel that too much sense of self, or I lose myself in something outside of myself. When you're eating that matzah, you have to be knowing whatever you will understanding that a mitzvah is literally connecting with Hashem Mamish, with Atzmus Amos. Almost if you could picture, you know, a picture like, you know, you see a telescope that's taking you out of the Milky Way, out of the galaxy, right, for, and bringing you up to God. Before God, all of the Milky Way and all the galaxies are not even a speck of dust. And now this God is coming into this piece of Shmur Matzah in your hand. And you're bringing that down into your body. That's why the Zohar is calling it the bread of faith. It's literally that you're eating godliness. I'm going to finish with a story. Uh, wait, you... before you say the story. Wait, yeah. before you say the story. So just to like piggyback on what Ricky was saying and then what you're saying. Like when we talk about how the shofar blast is like a kind of trauma therapy. Uh-huh. Like it's outside of me and it like shakes me to the core to take me back to the womb, to take me to that place before before all my shtus. Okay. This is like a counter of that. This is not something outside of me, like this... a sound. Like when you're eating it, you're literally saying, it's not like trauma therapy. It's like, it's it's like saying that there's no, I'm like going to forget my entire existence. That's why it's piece of mata. And I'm just going to like ingest it and really say that like me and God are connecting through like the most physical act. Like that's like in some ways it's like, I think what you said earlier, maybe I'm wrong, was when you said the fifth way at the very beginning, like Uh finding the point of God. The point of essence, the core. You said that that was Rabbi Akiva. Yep. So like I'm, I'm just wondering why it's Rabbi Akiva and maybe like the part when when that I think it's a medrash that says that he was like doing the catchers like the the crowns of the the crowns of the letters it's it said it, it was it, it's, like it's not about the letters it's like deeper than the letters it's that's deeper beautiful. than anything you could ever beautiful. think that it is that's a beautiful idea Bailey's saying that Rabbi, the Gemara says in Menachis that when Moshe Rabbeinu ascended to Sinai he saw that on the Sefer Torah there are certain letters that have these thorns, these crowns. Certain letters are shin. There are certain letters that you have to have these thorns on each letter. And Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses asked God, why, does, why do you need that the, all these letters should have these different thorns in them? And Hashem says to Moshe, there's going to be a Jew, Rabbi Akiva, that will, and from every thorn, every crown on each letter, will be able to learn out mountains and mountains of halachas, of laws, of ideas. And so what Bailey's saying is that Rabbi Akiva tapped into, which is also why he was the only one that, of the four that survived the Pardes, because Rabbi Akiva, and, and that's also why he was able to die such a death with such, such martyrdom, because Rabbi Akiva tapped into knowing that we know nothing, that we have to leave up and go in, just go into God, go into that faith of that I'm actually unifying with Hashem in that way, like you're saying. That it's not just, a, it's, it's, it's the exact opposite of a trauma therapy in that way of uprooting. It's bringing in pristine holiness of Hashem into you. Well, and we get it twisted. Like, like your example that you gave of 
telling a kid that like don't cross the street like there are lots of mitzvahs that we feel good when we're doing like it feels good to help somebody when they're poor it feels good to light shabbos candles matzah it doesn't like feel good it's deeper than feeling good it's not about me really at at all it's saying like i don't know anything i'm gonna let go of my ego and my intellect and i'm just gonna inject like put god in me yeah yeah that's exactly it so just just to finish with the story, it's getting late. It's already late, so I just want to just say a quickly a story. So you know, at the seder, one of the parts of the seder is that we open the door for Eliyahu Anavi. When we open the door, so in many many Hasidic courts and Chabad and in bells and many many Hasidic places, that is the highlight of the seder. In some way that when you open the door, because you know that whatever we do down here below, Hashem does the up above, Hashem does the mitzvahs also. So when we open the door, Hashem opens all the doors. It's like a, it's like a little aspect of ni'ila. It's a little taste of ni'ila when you open the door by the Seder. And there's a story by the Sar Shalom from, and by the way, that's why it's, it's actually the Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch once said to his son, the previous Rebbe, the Rayats, he said that when you, the door is open, that's the time to ask for whatever you need for from Hashem. When the door is open, Hashem opens up all the gates. When you open the door, Hashem opens up all the door. Actually, uh, Ricky, I don't know if you remember, one time at Isabella Friedman, you were the one that opened up the door. We, if you remember, we did it together. So there's, 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 uh, when you open up the door, Hashem is opening up all the gates, and that's the time to ask a person needs something. That's the time for tefillahs. That's the best time for tefillahs, when you open up the door. And so there's a story that by the first Belzer Rebbe, by the Sar Sholem, Reb Sholem of Bells, had a granddaughter by the name of Freda, Fredala. And she was a little five-year-old girl, and she knew, she had heard from her father how the opening of the door in Bells, it was, it's a huge thing, and in Bells they make a whole thing, they start singing Nigunim, there's a whole procession, they make this huge thing, and it's like the most exciting part of the Seder, and Fredala, this little five-year-old girl, wanted to really be part of it, but she fell asleep. And she wakes up, and it's already like, you know, three in the morning, and she, it's quiet. <clears throat> so she runs over to her Zaydi, to the Belzerov, and wakes him up and says, Zayda, Zayda, when are we going to go open the door? And Belzerov looks at his little granddaughter and says, Fredel, I'm sorry, but you missed it, you were sleeping. So she started crying. She said, so do it again. Open the door again. And the Belzerov says, it's too late. We did it already. We did it already. You can't just decide to open the door again for Leon Navi. You can't just open all those gates again. It's over. So she started crying. She said, it can't be, Zaidi. It can't be. It can't be that it's too late to open a door. It's never too late for a Jew to be able to open a door. The Belzerebbe heard his little granddaughter. And he said, you know what? You're right. And he sent his messengers to wake up the whole town again. They woke up the whole town of Bells. They woke everyone up. They slept everyone out of bed. And the Bells Rebbe said that my granddaughter Freydala is demanding that we open the door again and Hashem is going to allow that to happen. Because Freydala was so sincere with her prayer, they got together and they made the whole procession again and they opened up the door again just for little Freydala. So Mitz Hashem, after this really difficult year of we've all been through a lot of Egypts this year, but now Mitz Hashem is a time of Pesach. We were just talking about that a lot of 
a lot of renewal is happening, a lot of renaissance, a lot of springtime is happening. It's the month of spring. We should be zoicha mitzvahem to eat the matzah in a way of sincerity and in a way of faith. And to really know what we're doing, to, to try to, not really know, who none of us really know, but to somehow try to tap into that energy of the matzah, when we say that part of the Haggadah of the Eser Makis, to have in mind what's, you know, that when people were afraid to sin, it's not because they're afraid of, they're, they're literally afraid of that energy, of that danger to their neshama. And on the other hand, when it comes to mitzvahs, to run to a mitzvah, to know that when you're, it's mamish an energy of connecting with Hashem in that deepest way. And in that merit, Hashem should open up all the doors and even doors that some of us might, have, might think have been closed to us, Hashem should open them up again. We should be sincere like little Freydala and Hashem should open up all those doors that we thought were closed. And Hashem, this year we should and eat the Korban Pesach in the base of Migdash with Mashiach. It's not too late. Mitzvah Shem. Yeah.